Who was that fine lady? My name's Bill, and that's my wife. Um, also a pastor here at Bethel Christian Church. And want to welcome us as we look into God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity with everything that is weighing heavy on us today. Uh, so much preoccupation, so much of the rest of life going on. I know that this is a divine appointment, that you want to engage each of us for very different, very necessary, very important purposes. So speak to us, change us, captivate us. In your name we pray, amen. It's been a while, I've forgotten how to do this, so I have to to bear with me a bit. Uh, We're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark and, and we're looking at how does Jesus prepare us in the midst of life to do all that he's called us to do, all that he's made us to do, the best fit, who we ultimately really want to be and that we can be purposed in life. This is what he's doing with the disciples. And, and we can learn an awful lot about God's expectations for us, for, for the big picture. Where do I stand? Where do I not stand? Anybody at work knows one of the most difficult places to be is when you just don't know where you stand. Am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job? Have I finished? Have I not? Any surprises? And so there's, there's expectations, and unless we clearly understand what those are, we're not really sure how, how, to, how to look at ourselves. And in, and in all of life, I think we, we run up against frustration, disappointment, because our expectations aren't met. Now, sometimes it's just stupid. If you're in a car and it's not an absolute danger to you, getting upset about anything is just stupid. It just is. Psychologists say that, that people um, tend to think of the car as an extension of themselves as their ego, and they tend to think of about 40 feet around them as belonging to them personally. And, and so it's this whole sense of, but it's, it's you cut me off in my lane going to where I want to go in my day and made me late. So that's a stupid expectation. We, we do this in relationship. We have unrealistic expectations because obviously... They need to be mind readers. I mean, it's obvious what I'm thinking. It's obvious what I'm feeling. How much more obvious do I need to be? Don't you know? And we all do this. But that's an unrealistic expectation. There's no way any of us are mind readers. That's why God's given us mouths to communicate. You know, we can say what's going on on the inside rather than guessing. But we do have realistic expectations. When we put so much effort and money into a cure, and it is just not working. We're frustrated. There should be results. There should be change. When we put so much work into a relationship and it just isn't changing, it's been the same thing over and over, there's legitimate frustration, exasperation, disappointment. It shouldn't be this way. And so there's much of life that we, there's a realistic expectation of this is how it should work. And when it doesn't, something is wrong. Okay, so, so hold on to that. And we're going to uh, be looking at that as we jump into the text. Okay, so where we are, we're in uh, chapter 11, going to bring us up to speed. We're skipping over a bunch of stuff in chapter 10. If you remember two weeks ago, where we left off was Jesus's bold promise that we can all stand on. Okay, so what he told his disciples was, was this, anybody who has left stuff to follow me, be it houses, be it position, be it family, be it job, be whatever it is. You're going to receive many times as much in radically different and unexpected ways in this world. Your life is going to be so much more enriched. Whatever you're holding on to as stuff, 
By giving it up for the Lord, you're going to gain so much more. And that is God's heart. That's what he does. He never asks us to give up without giving more. But that more, it's a quality that he determines, not us. Okay, because he loves us. We, we always settle for less. And so the, the promise that he, the last word the disciples heard was, you'll get so much more, an enriched life, a blessed life, a different life, a better life, and more persecutions. Okay, guys, time to go. Going to Jerusalem, going to get persecuted. And so disciples are spinning. They're trying to understand what's going on. And um, there was this, there's this uh, entry into Jerusalem. So Jesus gets this, this colt, this donkey colt, rides in. He, he's sort of telling people, what this king they are to expect is, and that's where we're jumping in. So, we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping. What we're looking at is this. God actually expects that real faith will produce real change and growth. That's the most realistic expectation there is. This is underwritten by God himself. He made us. He didn't write the owner's manual. He is the owner's manual. He knows the absolute very, very best. And so the most realistic expectation of if God is in our life and he is real, if we have a new heart, if God's spirit is in us, there should be a difference. People should know. They shouldn't have to be mind readers to intuit over time. And this is a process. It's a process of unlearning and learning and, and all of this. But, but there's, um, there's a lot more that's going on here. Okay, let's jump into the story. So they're, they're terrified. Jesus promised a blessed life and persecutions. They don't know what's going on. All these crowds are screaming and, and acclaiming Jesus. This is the triumphal entry we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And uh, we, we've, we've studied this numerous times. So if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Really, it's, we, we make a whole lot more out of it. But there we go. Just worked myself out of a job. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. That same word. Remember we looked at it before? The big word for astonished. That's the one. While those who followed were afraid. Okay, so they're, they're trying to wrap their head around this. This, what does life with Jesus look like? I thought it was this. He has blown every single expectation I had of life and what I should be doing. And my peers out of the water. I don't have to live someone else's life. I don't have to compare. I can live the life that God has given me. And so they're astonished at what's going on. Life is so different, so much more unpredictable and unsafe and vulnerable and exciting and and, and stimulating and vital than I ever thought it would be. It's interesting here, only in Mark we have the crowd, those that followed, other disciples, those that kind of stayed a little bit back, they were afraid. They didn't know what was going to happen. It might cost them a little much. It's real. Bible straight up. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man, that's me, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So there's this, all this clamor going on. They're trying to get into Jerusalem. Word's gotten out. It's Messiah fever. Hey, is this the one, the promised one, the wonder worker, the healer, the one that speaks with authority and truth? The one I am so comfortable with because I'm not comfortable in church. This is the one. Could this be the promised one? And so everyone's going to get a look at who is this, who's this rock star? And in midst of all this confusion, and in the inner circle of this, we have all the people going, God save us, Hosanna in the highest. And the inside people, are, they're terrified. They don't know what's going on. So Mark's painting a very different scene. And Jesus' comforting words to his disciples are, 
Don't worry, it's going to get a whole lot worse. If you're afraid now because there's a lot of noise, wait till they start throwing punches and they pull out the swords. It's going to get real. Okay, so let's go. Real life truth and situation. He's not pulling any punches. This is life. I'm not taking you out of life. I'm not putting in a hermetically sealed bubble around you where it's going to be safe. I don't want you to be thin, rich, and happy. I want you to be holy. I want you to live lives of power and love and grace. And the only way you're going to learn that is in the wild, not in a protected greenhouse. And so he had been pulling the disciples away and teaching them, showing them how to heal. It's not just the body, it's the soul. Showing them how to drive away evil spirits. It's a whole life that's being set free. So he's showing them this. Then he pulls them into very difficult situations and says, it's going to get worse. And now in the midst of life, he continues to prepare him. This is what he does with us as well. More on that later. So he continues to prepare the disciples. See, Jesus wants them to understand that ministry is not about the cheering crowds. See, that's, that's a pinnacle moment. Everybody, it's just Messiah fever. It's so wonderful. I mean, just, just in ourselves, we think, man, I did this. This is great. This is cool. It's success. And in the midst of that scene, Jesus says, look, guys, I want you to remember this. Don't remember the crowds. Don't remember the, the confetti parade uh, down Market Street. And everyone's cheering. There's orange and black everywhere. Don't remember that. What you're going to remember is this. <laughs> a lot of time at batting practice. A lot of time running. There's a lot of time just putting in the work. Ministry isn't about cheering crowds. And ministry comes down to this. You love people whether they're cheering for you or driving nails into you. And we're going to see how the rest of this plays out. And so this is Jesus saying this is real life. And this is where I really want to use you. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Okay, Bethany is where Jesus sort of set up his base of operations. It's two miles outside of Jerusalem. This was a, an enormous pilgrimage, Passover. The greatest party, the greatest festival in all of, well... At that time in all of Judaism, I mean, this is the big one right now. And so for a week, people come from all over the known world. And they descend upon the city, tens of hundreds of thousands of people. So there's no room. So the closest room Jesus can get is staying with his best friend, Lazarus, in Bethany. This is where Martha and Mary's house, so that's where he's based. And, and he's, he's, he's kind of going back and forth. So they walk in. Next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf... He went out to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Because he's cursing, so you've got to use that voice. And his disciples heard him say it. When you hear that voice and you're expecting, Well done, good and faithful servant, it's not going to go well. Okay, back to the story. This is one of the most difficult stories to understand about Jesus because it's just so, it makes Jesus look like such, such an idiot, so stupid, so petulant, so immature. He's having a brat attack. Now, the Bible catches all our bad sides, right? I mean, read about David, read about anybody. If I was in there, it'd have an NC-17 rating. I mean, the Bible doesn't pull any punches when it talks about this is the rest of life and it's real and where God meets us, warts, bruises, and all. But we're talking about God here, okay? We're not talking about disciples who are idiots in process like me. He's talking about God. He's having a brat attack. Man, I'm so hungry. I wonder if there's anything here. I've... 
Now, I know it's not the season for figs. There's only leaves, but there's no figs. I curse you! It's like doing the Darth Vader, you know, forced choke. And the ah. disciples are like, whoa. Using the power of God to destroy. The only New Testament miracle we have of destruction. He could turn stones into bread. He's upset about a fig tree. And it seems so unfair. You see, there's a bigger story going here because this story's bookended by um, what we're going to look at right in the middle. And so the part two of this story is going to occur after another story. And so we need to understand all three to see how it holds together. But this is a big fear for everyone. This confirms what in the back of my mind, this gnawing suspicion that keeps me awake sometimes is this, that God ultimately is unreasonable, that God asks the impossible of us, and he absolutely does. Because it casts us back on him. We need him. But that God is unreasonable. And here we have a classic example. Mark tells us it's six weeks away from fruit. These are agrarian people. I mean, Jesus grew up picking figs off of trees. He knows this. Everybody does. So he knows there, isn't going to be, there aren't going to be any figs. It's still not the season for figs. And he gets upset. So, so he, he's an idiot. He's petulant. He's immature. And, and he uses his powers for evil and not for good. What's going on here? You see, because it's like God knows I'll never be able to do this. He demands it anyway, and then he calls me out for it when I can't do it. And I have to love this God. And he's always, it's, I always see how I failed. I always see that it's not good enough, not measuring it up. But I have to love this God. God calls me into a personal, wonderful relationship with him. And if I don't do these things, he's going to burn me. He's going to hurt me. But he loves me so much, other than the billions that are going to die, for, burn forever in eternity, he wants us to love him. Do you see that double bind? It doesn't work. Our hearts aren't built that way. We can't do that. See, I thought double binds were only for families and work and church. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, that's the double bind. But here we have this. If I don't obey, I'm wrong. If I do obey, I can't do it, I'm wrong. So God's unreasonable, and here we have an example. I knew it. Hold on to all those thoughts right now going to look at. So it just ends. He cursed the tree. The disciples heard him. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, okay, this is still a teaching lesson. Okay. The crowd is going around. There's all this chaos and he pulled them in close and he's teaching them. He's going, he's going medieval here. Going to unpack this a bit. It's scary. And he's still using it as a teaching moment. He taught them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Then evening came. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. We have this unrelated story of a cursing of a fig tree. And then he, they go into Jerusalem. Now, they'd already been in the day before. And Jesus had already looked around. It was the triumphal entry, but it was too late. So they went back home. Now they come in again. And uh, first thing they do, goes into the temple precincts. Now, what Jerusalem was, was ground zero, where God dwelt with his people. And in the middle of it was the temple. That is where God dwelt uh, in a very deliberate, specific way. And all the nations were to... 
see this relationship as a witness and want to come and check out God. How it was designed was there the Holy of Holies. That's where God himself manifest. Only once a year could anyone go there and they better do it right or they're going to die. That's the day of atonement. And outside of that was the holy place where the priests sort of did their duties. Outside of that was the court of men. Then there was the court of uh, women. Then there was this huge three foot thick wall that went around everything. And then the court of the Gentiles. There's a sign, I think I mentioned this um, last time we looked at this a couple years ago. There's a sign in a Paris museum that they dug up actually from that wall, and it says in Latin, Hebrew, or Aramaic, and Greek, if anyone strays beyond this who is not a Jewish man, you have no one but yourself to thank for your immediate death. And then Jews were the only ones given the ability to kill anyone, and it was for that offense. Uh, for, for crossing into the court of the, from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the Jews. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God was building this place lovingly, not looking at the beautiful buildings, not looking at how big the temple was, not looking at, ooh, glory Israel. He was looking at a place where people could encounter him. And his people are going to be so much like him, everyone else just couldn't but get on that train. But they turned it around, and it was about them. It was about convenience. It was about efficiency. Remember I said this was the big celebration. And what was required that every male had to go up to Jerusalem, offer sacrifice, pay the temple tax. There was a lot of um, festivals that taught people about what God was doing. and, And it was just every year kind of checking in with life. And because of this Passover, or because of Passover, people came from so many different lands. And they had to change all their money. There's only one kind of temple tax that was accepted, the Tyrian silver coin, because it, it was like the, the strongest currency at the time. Nobody wants dollars or yen or whatever, euros. I mean, it's Tyrian silver. And, uh, and so right at the temple courts was this hap, help, helpful money changers who would then change pe- people's money to the Tyrian coin. They could pay their tax. It was done. All the temple tax was collected. Uh, the ministry could continue. It was convenient. It was easy. Nothing wrong with that. They weren't ripping people off. They weren't charging interest. It was just there. So money wasn't being stolen. How could this be a den of thieves, den of robbers, if they weren't taking money, not even interest from people? Moreover, they had all these animal sellers there because people had to come from hundreds of miles away. Can you imagine leading any animal that long? Might die. And it would be an imperfect sacrifice. So they had these convenient, beautiful, healthy animals. You could show up. You could sell your animal and then buy one there for the sacrifice. It was convenient. It provided the best sacrifices. It was good. In and out before kickoff. And that's what Passover had become. It had become the same thing over and over and over again. I got the rest of life. I got these concerns. I got to take time out for God. Come on, come on. Okay, got it done. Check off. Back to life. And that's what Jesus was railing against here. This is the place of worshiping God. There should, this should be a place of awe and wonder and encounter and conviction and praise and support. Where people go when they're at the end of themselves to just cry out to God. When people go when they've been filled up more than they ever can with praise and want to give it back to God. But instead, all that anyone could hear was the tussle and bustle and, and, and hooves and... and you know, animal noises and, and money chink- clinking and people talking about this and that. And it's just this chaos. It's like going to the mall. The word used is emporium. You, you've, turned, you've turned this into an emporium. Strip mall. Where the robbery is, we're robbing God of praise. We're robbing God of fellowship. We're robbing God of us. We're robbing God of all of these things. 
And here's the deal. My house will be called a house of prayer for all Gentiles. All the nations were to come so they could encounter God and have this and see people and lives transformed. I don't know what it is about you people, but I want it. And they couldn't even get into the court of the Gentiles because this is where all this convenience was happening. God's people were so busy doing church, they stopped being the church. And that's what God was taking issue with. Israel was called. We've been called. Israel saved. We're saved. Israel set apart for a special purpose. We're set apart for a special purpose. Israel ignored others for their own growth and comfort. And we're judged. Jury's still out with us. We, we get to decide how that's written. He's Calvinist. He was Arminian. He's preaching to everybody. Can you imagine the scene of Jesus just going berserk? What did Jesus do for a living? Carpenter. What kind of carpenter? Do you have the skill saw, the Makita out there? Nail gun. Hey, I'm not taking anything away. It's still hard work. You just do a lot more, but it's still hard work. But um, how, did he, how did he do his trade? All manual tools, right? From the time he's 13, he's been sawing and hammering and, and, and drilling and lifting. He's a buff dude. And now he's furious. This is the zeal of the Lord. I mean, they'd seen Jesus mad, but this is insane. So he makes this cord. He's not using it on the people. You have to use a cord to drive out the animals. Turns the, the tables over. People are going after their money. Drives the animals out. People are terrified. I mean, he's just like, just hulking out here. And it just, terrifying. And, and as they're leaving, and it's this panic, and what's going on? People are carrying bags of money and animals. He wouldn't even let them go through the temple courts. Shortest cut to the exit. Because that's what they were doing all along. And they're saying, this should be worshiping God, not convenience. You, you, you're wondering how fast you can... No, I'm not going to preach it long, tonight, or I'm not planning on preaching long. But you guys are so concerned. This is what Jesus is saying, in a sense, to the Passover people. You're so concerned to get out of here so quickly, you're even missing God. So take time. Go around. You gotta speak to your heart. Now we're at the other bookend. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Hey, lots of things can wither from the top. You can get bugs. You can get um, frost. Right? Anyone try to grow stuff? Doesn't. You know, when it's going to go wrong, it usually does from the top down. So you it, you can see how horrible of a person you are slowly as you kill this thing that is completely dependent upon you. Might want to practice with some dog or a cat first before having kids. Anyway, um, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. The total curse. Peter remembered, remember Marcus Peter's story? Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. But she said it just like that too. Okay. We, all this ties together. This is an acted parable. Remember, Jesus is preparing them in life all along. And he's using the things of life, the realistic expectations that everyone there would have understood. When we understand the Bible, this is what we need to do. When we're trying to better understand it. We've got to check ourselves at the door. We've got to check our culture, our way of looking at things. Because we try and cram the Bible full of our world and make it fit. It's got to be exact quotes. People didn't care about it. Exact quotes weren't used then. So we have to kind of lay off of that. Um, is a scientific treatise that, no. 
It allows for all sorts of amazing integration, but that's not the purpose of it. Um, people said, oh, uh, Russia's going to be the great bear from the north in Armageddon because the, the, the enemy's coming from the north and it's going to sweep you away. Yeah, it's coming from the southeast because you had to go around the desert. See, everybody reading this would have known it. We don't. So what's going on here that everybody would have gotten? The grapevine and the fig tree were the most well-known symbols of Israel. Absolutely unmistakable. And when you look at how figs and the figs uh, ripening and blossoming and anticipating the fruit is used throughout the prophets. All through Jeremiah, through Joel, a little bit in Isaiah. And it has to do with, this is my desire for you. Pleasing delightful, nourishing, enjoyable, that, that the nations would come seeking sustenance. This is my desire. This is desire for Israel. It's alive. Mark added this explanation. It was still six weeks before the time of fruit. Okay, so we're thinking, he's explaining why he wasn't going to find any fruit, and now it just seems unreasonable to curse. Uh-uh. That explanation means that what could be expected at that time was what the um, Hebrews called pagim. Um, there's, there's no word for it. They're called nops if you're a, bio, a botanist. But basically with a fig tree, um, it loses all its leaves. And when it's blooming, the leaves come out and these nops come out at the same time. And these nops, they grow into little pagim and they become the buds which become the, the fruit, the, the figs. Right? Well, six weeks when it's in full leaf, um, you can find all sorts of these canops all over the place or, or the, these um, pagim. And the locals would eat them. They were bitter. It was an acquired taste, probably like witchetty grubs in Australia or something. I, I don't know. It's an, it's an acquired taste. But um, people would, would eat them. And so they know at this time of the year, you're not going to get the good fruit, but you're going to get enough for sustenance. Okay, why was Jesus... Now, now uh, the, the pagim would be smaller than this. Okay, they're little tiny bits, and you've got to work to get them, and you're just collecting a few and eating them. Why is Jesus doing that? He's walking along, two-mile journey. He sees uh, way out in the distance a tree... You know, the heat rising off the ground. Yeah, I guess it's in leaf. Let me check it out. And he goes over there to look for fruit. We forget how poor Jesus was. Dirt poor. Unbelievably poor. So poor, um, the poorest of the poor here would be fabulously wealthy compared to what Jesus had. He's subsistence. See, we think of Jesus' poverty only in terms of the incarnation and the nativity scene. Oh, he was in a manger, he was born in a cave, it's lowly Jesus and the animals and humility. But we forget that was the rest of the story for him. He was starving. He was hungry. He was looking for food. He was looking for horrible food. It was like eating dog food because you're so hungry. But it was food and it would sustain him and get him by. He did this because he was poor. So all the poor people knew... When you see a leafing fig tree, even though you're going to have to wait six weeks, you can still um, scavenge all, all of these pagim. And that was realistic to expect those. Now, here's the thing with fig trees in that part of the world. If the, the pagim don't come out with leaves, they're guaranteed absolutely will not be fruit that season at all. You can wait as long as you want. You can fertilize. You can water. You can do everything. There will not be fruit. And so if you have just leaves and none of these pagim, which, you know, the subsistence thing, there's not going to be any fruit ever. And everybody knew that. That's just a known fact of fig trees. And so you would know looking for the pagim, mm, I'm going to come back here later in six weeks, there's going to be a lot of figs. Ah, this is just leaf, I forget this, maybe next year. 
Everybody got it. Had only leaves and no fruit. How, do, how does a plant grow? Anyone? It's not rocket science. It's just, you know. Okay. I see that hand. I see that need. Yes. Yes. Seed goes in the ground. So I got to repeat. You're not mic'd. So. Roots, um, like hold the, seed down. The, the roots go down. The stem grows up. Yeah. Exactly. And what does the tree live on? What what feeds the tree? What does the tree eat? Water and sun and carbon dioxide. Now, how does, how does the tree get most of the carbon, sun, and, or water, sun, and carbon dioxide? Okay, most of the water comes through the roots. Okay, I'll, I'll grant that. All of the carbon dioxide and all of the sun goes into the tree to make the sugar through the leaves. So the purpose of the leaf is to nourish and feed the plant only. But what's the purpose of the plant? Any plant. What do you plant to get seedless grapes? I just, it's like dehydrated water. Just these things don't work. Um, sorry, I totally lost my train of thought here. It's terrible. Okay, gold to produce. What's the goal? It's to, is, it's to produce fruit, right? The goal of the plant is to produce fruit. But is that the ultimate goal? Like the main goal of this plant is to produce fruit. No, it's penultimate. Goal of the plant is to produce seeds. Seeing the fruits there to nurture the seeds and give them a start. Okay. See, when uh, the, the leaves are only for the plant, only for themselves, only to take in, only to nourish and grow, and there's an appropriate response. But all of this is so that there would be initially canops, pagim, buds, fruit, and, and, and a huge harvest. That's the purpose. Now, if there's a plant that doesn't have any fruit and only leaves, it's only living for itself. It's only growing more leaves. It's only taking in more and more and more for itself. There will not be any fruit. Jesus said this. Okay, there, sorry, there's, those are the canops I was talking about here. See, when, the, uh, so when, it, when it grows, that's the fig. So that's what Jesus would have been looking for right there. Those are kind of the small, those are actually pretty big. Those would be, um, it's probably a month out. Little tiny, bitter deals. Okay. Jesus said in John 15, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's probably holding an actual grape vine, the other symbol for Israel, why he's telling him this. I am the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It's an unfortunate translation because the word cut off uh, really should be translated lifts up. Um, anyone go to Sonoma or Napa? What, what do you notice about all the vineyards? They all look like this. Right? Why? Because the branches have been lifted up. See, what happens, the leaves get down, they get covered in mud, they can't get the sunlight shining on them, and they don't grow. Do you see where I'm going with the, the spiritual metaphor? And so they're covered in the, the mud of this world, sunlight can't hit them. And so they're lifted up, they're held in a position uh, more in approximation to the sun. They're cleaned off, cleansed, if you would, so that they can grow. And the reasonable expectation is that they would produce fruit. 
And so the mercy of God, his plan for all of us is that we bear fruit, which is his character, gentleness, kindness, peace, self-control, love, kindness, all of these things that God is, people should see that more and more and more in us. And right now, they should be little pagim, little, little knops. Some people, I mean, it's just, you know, they're the fruit has to ride shotgun. That sounded horrible. I did not mean to. Anyway, the point is, they've got so much fruit on them, it's just amazing. Others, not sure. And many of us, if you, if you search from the leaves, you'll find some pagim. Here's Jesus' point. If there is no fruit, if you've been a believer for years... And nothing has changed. There was an initial excitement, initial response, an initial vigilance, an initial, we're going to do this and change this, and I, I get it, and all of that. And if over time, or immediately, or whatever, your life has gone back, and it's just nothing has changed, that your reactions are the same reactions as people who don't know God. Your values are the same values as people who don't know God. What you're working for is the same thing. If all of that is the same, there is no pagim. When there is leaf... What Jesus was teaching in a very profound, very acted out way, the one time he uses his power in the New Testament for destruction to make this point with the disciples is, there will not be any fruit. Do not kid yourselves. Do not kid yourselves. There will be no fruit. Man, God asked the impossible. God asked the ridiculous. So a um, pastor colleague who had a friend um, who was his neighbor, and they had a long driveway, and there was a grape plant. There's an old abandoned kind of grape arbor in between their property. And so uh, his friend said, hey, I used, to, uh, I used to do this a long time ago. I haven't. That's what intrigued me about the house. I'll grow grapes, and if you let me do the work, we'll split the grapes. He's like, cool. And so colleague was really excited, and his friend goes out there, and he just starts cutting leaves, cutting leaves, cutting leaves, cutting leaves, cutting leaves, cutting leaves. And he's like, what are you doing? He's saying, well, do you want to grow leaves or do you want to grow grapes? Because one or the other, okay? There's too much me time here for the plant, and it's not going to produce anything for somebody else. So we've got to remove some of this. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes in what they say, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Okay, where they were standing, if they looked to the south, they would see the Herodias fort. What that was, was a mountain (laughs) that Herod had completely leveled and thrown into the sea to make up the the ramparts for this, this bulwark. And so there's a real example here. Here's an ambitious guy. Everybody hates him. But one thing, you, everybody agrees about Herod. He's ambitious. He sets his mind to something. He's going to do it. He saw that mountain. And he said, I'm going to throw you into the sea. That's impossible. And he went and he did it. And this is Herod doing it in his own strength apart from God. There is a, a rabbinic expression that to, to undertake the study of Scripture is like taking a spoon and digging a mountain and walking over and putting it into the sea. It's going to take you your whole life, and it's an arduous process. So when he says you can say to this mountain, he's not saying you're magic now that you're a Christian, and you just say something, and if you really believe it, it's going to happen, because now you're God, Bruce Almighty. I mean, not what it's... Look, look, here, here it is. Here it is. Wow. And does not doubt in their heart, but believes that I can be invisible and fly and I'm going to win the lottery and there'll be world peace. And I can end my sermon on time. 
they, they, if, if you really believe, obviously I don't believe it, but if you really believe it, and you guys don't, so it's your lack of faith why we go long. But if you really believe it's going to happen. But that's not what he's saying. He's appealing to what everybody would have seen. Wow, there's a guy who literally put a mountain into the sea. He set his mind to it. You can accomplish something. And this rabbinic, because they heard it, they were following the rabbi. Following me is going to be like this, but it is doable. It is doable in me. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In prayer is the key. In prayer is what? One way or two way? Two way. Okay, all the rest of John counterbalances this. In my name, according to my character, according to my will, that you may bear much fruit. That's what in prayer means. You're hearing from God and connecting accordingly. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And so he's saying, this is what the Christian life is like moving forward. And I'm going to list it for you in, in descending order or, yeah, descending order of difficulty. Moving mountains is going to be the easiest thing you're going to do as a Christian. Literal mountains. Moving mountains into the sea, you're going to be required to do that. And that's going to be the easiest thing I ask. Second is believing in prayer. Believing the character of God. Knowing the character of God. Knowing that he's going to work this out far better. Not trusting in what we see, what we can control, what we can believe in. But trusting God. So that's going to be even harder than moving mountains is believing the character of God in prayer. And then even harder than that, forgiving others. When you stand praying and you remember. Why did he say that? Because we all do this. But do we do the second part? So in order of difficulty, these things. Wow. I'm going to close with this example. Greenhouse is an amazing invention. The, 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 the invention of the greenhouse, I think it, well, it's been around in different forms for a while. But it enables you to grow plants much more, in a much more robust way. Because you can control everything in a greenhouse. You don't have to worry about pesticides because you can control for um, parasites. You, you, you use whatever fertilizer you want and not have to worry about the rain washing it out. Uh, you can... Um, control the temperature and the humidity. You control everything, and you can grow some amazing greenhouse fruit. You can control how fast you want it to grow, when you want it to go to the market, everything. And the fruit looks pretty amazing. Most of the stuff you see is, a lot of it's, a lot of it's, and when I say greenhouse, I mean like city block size greenhouse commercial. Stuff grown in the wild, though, you know, because it tastes different. You really can't control a whole lot. You can control maybe watering, maybe a few other things, but a whole lot you can't control. Parasites, weather, frost, other things. But here's the biggest difference between something grown in a greenhouse and something grown in the wild. The plant grown in the greenhouse is not viable, cannot live outside the greenhouse. It's so adapted to life in the greenhouse where everything's controlled, everything's safe, everything's efficient, everything's predictable. That's all it can do. It's used to growing large and proud and, 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 and fat. But the fruit, if you would, isn't real because if you took that plant in a real situation and planted it, it's not growing. Jesus was preparing his disciples. He knew he'd be leaving. And he was saying this is going to be difficult and it's going to get worse from there. And the, the, the nature of ministry is the core area where we live, not where we think we live or where we ought to live. And where you live is the world in which this, the God himself has to look for little bitter buds because he's in subsistence poverty. 
In that world where you live, where you cry, where you are frustrated, where you rejoice, where you grow, that is where God wants to do his absolute best work. And the invention of the greenhouse, known as the church and church programs and staff and all, this has been a wonderful thing. And, and God has been able through that to grow lots of fruit. Okay, when you have little seedlings, uh, putting them in a greenhouse is the best place for them to be because there's the support, there's the nurturing, there's the encouragement, there's the unique care. But the goal isn't to keep that plant in the greenhouse forever. This is what Jesus was doing with the disciples. They'd been in the greenhouse. They'd been in the presence of the master. He was on full override. There wasn't anything they, they could do or mess up that he wasn't right there to fix. That was the greenhouse. But would they be viable? Would their faith be viable in a real world and not in the greenhouse? Would there actually be fruit that could be seen over time, even if it's small? Or would we be only the kind of people that would want more leaves? How can I feed myself more? I can get more leaves, more nourishment, more greenhouse. It's about me. See, when we realize we've been created to produce fruit that produces seeds, our lives are to be poured into others. And that's a joy and that's a multiplication. And that's why God keeps giving us his spirit so we can, you know, fire hose it out to others. We're leaking anyway. God's going to give us more. But, but we, can, we can engage this way. That we would be viable in the real world. God uses broken people to reach broken people. God uses sinful people to reach sinful people. God uses lost people to reach lost people. And we're the best ones who know sin and brokenness and lostness, right? So we're God's best number one plan for reaching people in the wild. And that's why life feels the way it does. There's a lot that we can't control. There's a lot that we can't correct. And yes, it would be nice to stay in the greenhouse where it's warm and all our needs are met and everything's great. But we need to be viable in the world. But here's the greatest, the greatest encouragement that I took away from this. If Jesus had found even one tiny little bud, it would have meant that entire fig tree would have been producing a good harvest. He didn't find a single one. So there's two messages here. There's one. If there has not been a change, if it's the same, if nobody can tell you're a believer, there's a good chance you may not be. Because this is a greenhouse and it's very, very easy. It's predictable. It's safe. It's a lot of nourishment. We're growing lots of leaves and that's good and we want to so that we can grow fruit. But the longer we just stay mentality-wise in the greenhouse the less viable we're going to be in the wild. And that's where seeds need to be dropped. We drop seeds in here, they're not going to grow. The second thing is this. I always think I should be someone different. I think we all do. None of us is the person we want to be. I think, uh, I'm not sure where it came from originally, maybe Steve Furtick, but said, we look at the blooper reel of our own lives while we look at the highlight reel of everyone else's. Okay, so we always think we ought to, we should, we should be more. And we beat ourselves up and we always wonder, is there any fruit at all? Has God just been wasting his time? But what I found so encouraging, if there's just even a little bit, that's guarantee and hope for the rest. I am convinced of this very thing that my God will bring to work all that he has begun in you and will, be, and will continue to completion until the day of Christ Jesus.
That's why Paul could write when he's writing to a church and he says this in two different churches that, that were having issues and they're all over the place. He, he could have weighed in there theologically and he did that earlier. He could have weighed in there with his apostolic authority and he did that earlier. He could have appealed to all sorts of things and he does that. But where he really engages their heart is this. If there is any hope, if there is any affection, if there is any kindness, if there's any tenderness, make my joy complete by being of the same mind one with another. And so fulfill the bonds of love. In other words, he's saying, if there is a little pagim, if there's a bud, if there's, if you can see even the smallest changes that is working, that you would want this, whereas before you wanted that, then that is the hope, that is the confidence, there will be a full harvest, God is good for it, but are we in, are we working this through, that's what we want to be about as Bethel Christian Church, that we want to grow strong and healthy here, maximum S-O-N sunlight, um, I'll, I'll supply all the fertilizer, and um, sometimes you just got to steer into that slide. And, and we want to grow robust plants and big fruit. We want this to be a healthy body where, where there isn't if you have anything with anyone. But we're all one mind in union where people going, I don't know what you have, but I want this. And, and seeds need to be dropped out there. I'm broken. Sinful. I spend most of my time being lost, it feels like sometimes. I'm ideally suited for the message of grace and hope and love to speak somebody's language in the way they understand in the subways of the heart. Plan A. Let's pray. Lord God, I think it's so easy for me anyway to mistake success and efficiency results for growth, for fruit, for what is nourishing and sustaining. I thank you, Father, that you love us so that you warn us. We think it's the wild, but we're in a greenhouse. Show us what is real. Show us what is true. Show us that you are a God, not that is calling us out or, or, or seeking where we can be tripped up, but who loves us and wants the best and wants the most fruit. And so anything that is getting in the way, God, you want to remove it. And I thank you also, Father, that you're a God that sees what is real, even the small changes, even the changes we might not yet see. And that gives us great hope, Lord, that you hang in there. Where we, where we see change, where we see growth, God. We just say amen, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. We want more. In your name we pray. Amen.
As you go into the world to do and to be his will, I please, 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 I hope you heard me. If you don't know the Lord, if you're checking him out, if you're curious what is up with Jesus, it's all about him. I don't do near a good enough job explaining who he is. None of us does nearly good enough job loving, forgiving, gracing the way he does. I encourage you, hang in there, lay a hold of him. Um, and anything we can do to help you in this journey and point you, that's what we want to be about. I'd like to invite our prayer counselors forward. If there's anything going on where you've come to the end of yourself in your life or prayer for someone else or something you want to celebrate, they'll be right here and pray with you as, as uh, much as you'd like. And then also, whatever your lunch plans were, cancel them because it's a cafe, Mexican food, youth fellowship. It's going to be awesome. Just hang a left. Fun food fellowship, it's good too, but we got we to gotta get some, you know, built up because we got a lot of work to do in rolling up our sleeves. Close with this. God's anticipating fruit in our lives. 
If when you hear that, you're thinking, I'm busted, I'm called out, I haven't measured up, it isn't enough, I should have more, and, and excuses, and it's panic, and we're hiding. That's not the way it should be. That's not right. That might be a way of maybe you're seeing your dad through God or something. I don't know. There could be a lot of reasons for that. But a reason could be maybe you need to do business with him. I think all of us are going to be there to a certain extent. And what is so gracious and compassionate with Jesus, because the anticipation is, wow, I so want this. And it's this anticipation of, wow, there's going to be good fruit here. There's going to be my character. It brings me joy. It brings me peace. And now our enemies are his enemies. Anything that gets in the way of his character, his life, his fullness, his joy in us, God's going to take issue with that. He's going to be fighting those battles with us. Anything that contributes to that, how we can nurture one another and feed on his word and and, and allow his spirit to minister to it, he's going to be doing that and working this through. He's going to be doing it lovingly and with joy and anticipating, oh, that sweet fruit. And he's going to be upset when there's a frost rather than disappointed with us. He's going to be upset with other things. Where do we go with it? Do we beat ourselves up? We don't have enough. Or do we see with God going, man, God, I just, I'm trusting you for this. I thank you that even though this is just some crappy fish and some loaves of bread, you're going to take, break, bless, and multiply far more. And he wants to do that with each and every one of our lives. Go in peace. God bless.